0: Hi, my name is Justin, and I'm the executive pastor of Family Life here at GCC. And I just wanna let you know that we believe this is your time. This is your time to worship, it's your time to serve, it's your time to grow. And I wanna take just a moment to let you know what your next steps are. At the end of every service, we do something called Gen in Five. It's where we take just five minutes to talk about who we are as a church. We also have something called Connect Class, where we go in depth and we talk about the DNAs and the values of who we are. If you wanna serve, we have something called Behind the Scenes Tour, where you can do just that. You can go behind the scenes of who we are as a church and find out where your spot is. And finally, we would love to connect with you as you connect with Christ at our Next Steps area. So no matter where you're at, we cannot wait to see you. Good evening and Merry Christmas to everyone. Welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, if you are a little kid or a big kid or a really big kid and you don't have one of these incredible activity sheets, uh, we want to make sure that you get one. And so if you could raise your hand right now, if you walked in, you're like, I don't want one, sir. You are 43 years old and there are no kids around you. You, you know That's weird. You, it's not that long of a service. You can do this, man. Go ahead and raise your hand. We got some folks that are walking down and they can hand one out. Uh, We want to make sure that you guys get one of these and you get all the clues for uh, what we're talking about here in just a a few moments. Uh, I want to welcome you. It's so good to light the Christ candle, the Christ King candle with everyone tonight. Uh, Jesus is King, but he's got a name that is used a a little bit less. there's There's a name that comes from Isaiah about Jesus that we do not use all the time, but it really shows up this time of year it's the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel simply means that God is with us. It's this incredible name about the character and intention of God to be a God who is with us. He is a with us kind of God. So we call him Emmanuel. And this is This has always been who he is. It's the the long-standing character of God to be with us as Emmanuel. If I could just tell you for just a moment some of the times, some of the points in history where God has exhibited or shown his intention to to be Emmanuel, you probably know this one. uh, As Adam and Eve are created at the very beginning of humanity's experience, God walks with them in the garden. There's a sound to how he walks. He has conversations with them, and our very first picture of God is the truest to his nature. He is a God with us. He is a with us God. He is Emmanuel. That was his intention by design. He stood back and said, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly what I created. I want to be with my people. Well, Genesis chapter 3 happens and sin enters the world and Man begot man who begot man, and people go on, and before you know it, God's people find themselves enslaved in the land of Egypt, and God calls them out of Egypt, and he shows a, a high level of love. I mean, if, if you love someone enough to go tent camping with them, you love them, all right? My wife, my wife, her, her version of, uh, of camping is glamping, okay? So my family, if you will tent camp, that's a high level of love. God wants to be with his people so much that he is willing to tent camp with them. That's what he does. He, he instructs them on how to make a tent for him. There's a couple of people right down here that need some. We're, we're getting all these kids. I think there's some adults coloring too, but that's okay. <laughs> right down here, right down here. God wanted so much to... To be with his people, that uh, they they would have be in their tents, and they're nomadic people, and they're wandering the desert for about forty years. And they open their tents in the morning, and there they see God's tent made to His specifications. They know that God is there because there's there's fire indicating His presence at night, a pillar of it, and there's a, a billow of smoke indicating His presence in the daytime. And God is this; He's an Emmanuel God. He's a God who is with His people. That's His desire. He wants to be with you. Not, not too long after that, God's people finally get the promised land. David purchases the, the top of a mountain, Mount Moriah. And his son Solomon builds a temple there, and God inhabits that space. And he is Emmanuel with his people there. God's people walk away, and the, the temple is destroyed. But Ezra and Nehemiah come back, and they rebuild those walls and that temple. And that is the temple that Jesus would walk into and preach and teach in. And in the, the centermost part of that is the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. And once again, God was achieving his objective. His objective is to be Emmanuel. A God that is with his people. Oh, but he had another level. He had another awesome level of being Emmanuel and being with it. And that, that, that is why we are here celebrating tonight. To kick it all up a whole nother notch. He said, I'm going to send my son to be Emmanuel. And that will be one of his names. And he will be God dwelling with people in a way that has never happened before. He will go through their experiences. He, he will do life with them, all of the good, all of the bad. And God said, finally, truly, we will have another level of me being Emmanuel, God with people. We celebrate that very thing on this night, Christmas Eve, the birth of the Savior of the world, Jesus, the Son of God, who is God that became flesh to live among us. One of the verses that we look at from Matthew's eyewitness testimony of Christ's life can be found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, and perhaps you've heard it before or seen it or read it somewhere. Let's look at this incredible verse again. It says this, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's always who he has been. It's his intentionality here with Jesus. It's still who he is. He is a God that wants to be with us. But Jesus leaves a pretty incredible place. He leaves the throne room of heaven. He leaves his rightful place. He leaves heaven. There are times that we read God's word and we just kind of step over it. And we just take it. We're in church and we hear it somewhere. And it's like, okay, that happened. And we don't stop to marvel, to digest it, to meditate for a moment, to to camp out for just a second and to really look at something from some different angles and let it absorb into us and transform us. This one thing at this point of time in history is the most incredible thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind. Heaven invades earth and a collision of seismic proportions happened. It was unlikely. It was unthinkable. In some ways, it was inappropriate. It was unclean. It was undignified. It was filthy. It was lowly. It was humiliating for Jesus to leave the glory of heaven and to come and clothe himself, to put himself in the vessel or the container of human flesh and take on our experience is a mind-blowing thing that we, we really should marvel at. I used to think that there was a cosmic battle that was happening on that night. I would picture the the nativity scene and baby Jesus there and I would picture angels doing war and they're holding back the forces of the enemy because the enemy's trying to kill baby Jesus. I really don't think anymore that's what was happening. I think Satan was like, you're gonna take on humanity? All Let's see this, Jesus. Like, what's gonna happen the first time you fix something and it breaks with dad? And then you fix it again and it breaks. And then your brother James, who's always yawn at you, he's always got the mouth going, he's got the mouth going and it breaks and then, Jesus, you stub your toe. And then we're gonna find out what you think about leaving glory and coming and being people just like us. What's gonna happen when you taste pain? What's gonna happen when you taste death? You see people that you love die. And Jesus was willing to leave it all and come and experience what we've experienced. Can we? Can we marvel at? It? Matter of fact, could could I have permission? We do have some kids in the room. I'd love to grab their attention and uh, their imaginations tonight and just think about this in, in some profound, maybe crazy ways, because it's a crazy thing that happened. God leaves a, a precious place. Uh, an appropriate place, he leaves the heavenly of all heavenlies, and he leaves the place that it makes sense for him to be, and he comes and dwells among us. He didn't have to do that. If he did do it, and we were orchestrating the event, we were the the planner of processions, there would be a walkout song, and there would be an entourage that goes before him, and we would pick his outfit outright, and there would be a light show with him. That's not what happens. What happens is quite the opposite. God leaves the heavenly realms, a place he's supposed to be, and he comes and puts himself in a container, in a vessel, in a place, in a space that makes no sense. It's just hard to wrap your minds around. Let me help you. This sets in my closet. This is a safe. This is where I put things where I don't want my kids to touch, right? You should have a place like that in your house. If you got teenagers, I put those things in here and I put things that should be in here. I put things that are valuable, things that are precious. Can you wrap your mind around this metaphor? The value of God's one and only son and the the preciousness of what that is. And I put things that are valuable to me in my life in here. I've got a couple things. I have got, I've got a mixtape from 1996 Valentine's Day for my wife. No, I'm not going to tell you what songs are on here. It's none of your business. <laughs> not that one. That's in there, and that makes sense. Uh, I want to keep it safe, so I keep that in here. Another thing I keep that's just really precious to us, they're, they're in this uh, little napkin folded up. These are our original wedding rings. I wear a rubber one so I don't lose this finger doing crazy things, and my wife, wear she wears a different one she likes. And so um, we... <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> It makes sense, right, that you would, you would put something valuable in a place that's appropriate. That makes sense. It makes sense that Jesus would be in heaven. It doesn't make sense that he would come and inhabit humanity, that he would come and live in, in, in the body of a person. It makes sense that these would be in here. It doesn't make sense for me to put them in here. This is a bad container. This is a bad container. But I think it, it needs illustrated so you can wrap your mind around just exactly how crazy— How crazy this is. You know what would help is like some ominous music, like something, give give me something that's just like really freaky. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I've tried this uh, today four times and I've been successful once. Okay, because I'm a nice person. You look really worried. (laughs) I'm gonna give you that. You're probably fine. It's not gone much past right here. Pretty much this seat gets ruined every service. You should just listen. Uh, We get all the kids in here and I start playing with swords. Guys, don't try this at home with anything in your dad's garage, okay? Now, everybody, it makes sense. It makes sense for this to be put in a safe place. What doesn't make sense makes no sense at all that you would take something like this that's valuable and you store it in a place like this. That makes no sense at all. It's a dumb container. It's, it's a crazy prop. It makes absolutely no sense at all. Exactly like Jesus leaving the heavenly realms. See, it's a bad container. It won't keep. It's temporary. It's got a shelf life. It makes absolutely no sense. I I think that we need to push it a little bit further because we've got to wrap our minds around. Sometimes we just step over stuff and we say, oh yeah, God comes and he just becomes a person. He lives with us. I completely get it. We don't get it. We don't get it. We need to marvel at how incredible this is and what it means for us. I got some other things that are really meaningful to me and my life in here. I've got uh, car keys because I'd like to be able to drive home home at some point tonight. I've got a cell phone that never stops ringing. I do not technically own a John Elway rookie card. But I also do not not own one because this is an unwrapped set of 1984 Topps football cards. And as long as I never unwrap it, my chances are one in 2014 that John Elway rookie card's in here. And I'm never unwrapping this. Okay. Of, of the most precious things in my home, uh, you know, we, we we sometimes we might argue about what movie to watch. We might argue about what food, but there, there's nothing more intense in my house than this device right here. This is an iPhone wall charger. Now, the appropriate place for this to be in my life is right by my bed. The place where this never is, is right by my bed, right? So, These things, uh, they've got appropriate places. They've got places where they should be. They've got places just like our father in heaven where his son should be is at his right-hand side because he's the most valuable thing that the father has. But he loves us so much, and his name is Emmanuel, and he wants to be with us so much that he would be willing to leave the glory of heaven and come and put himself in something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever at all, like a blender that's plugged in. I like you, wall charger. Please don't break. I'm okay if that breaks, but I would like to drive home. Paul describes in vivid detail for us. Paul, the apostle, writes to the church that is in Corinth. Let me make sure it's turned on. We got power. Paul writes to the church in Philippi and Philippians. And he explains to them what is actually happening when Jesus leaves the glory of heaven and he comes to take on a container like human flesh that makes no sense. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus. Here's the mindset of Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He has equality with God and he comes and dwells in a ridiculous container for his majesty, for his renown, for the gravity of his position, for who he really is. It's ridiculous. But he says this, rather he made himself nothing, nothing. By taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself to go from the glory of heaven to a container like who we are is humility for Jesus. It's humbling for Jesus. It makes no sense. He was so humble that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's a prop, people. There's no blade in there. Come on. <laughs> I'm driving home, all right? It's okay. I think, because I do this, like there's, there's this natural desire in all of us for a really, a really beautiful Christmas Eve service at seven o'clock on this night that, that comes once a year that we would see a manger scene. The quintessential manger scene with little kids dressed up and as wise men and some angels and the right mix of barnyard animals that don't smell and a perfect baby Jesus. And we love that painting. We've, we've taken a brushstroke and we've gone over it and we've sterilized the moment. We've taken all of the awe and all of the mystery out of it for this very reason because that moment is something that we can control. This baby Jesus can be held and put down for a nap, or you can get him a setter and go out and hit the town. We like that version. But in fact, it was crude. In fact, it was, it was, honestly, it was disgusting. Isaiah says it was lowly in position. It was beneath him. I've got some things here that we use every now and then, uh, some things that are important. And these are things that should be in an appropriate place, like Jesus was in heaven. It's, it makes sense. I've got passports here. I've got my wife's social security card. It'll be fine, babe. Uh, I've got our birth certificates. I've got our will. I mean, the people, they, they find out, they get our kids if something happens. This, this, is, this is stuff right here. And you know, my wife's like, "Hey, honey, where did you put that stuff at?" I'm like, "Oh, babe, it's upstairs." I get it. Someone say that, that that is totally gross and inappropriate to have that have any part of what is supposed to be a really beautiful Christmas Eve service that glorifies Jesus. If you are saying in any part of you right now that this right here makes absolutely no sense, then you are right on track with what God's trying to say in this verse. What God is trying to say on this verse is something is happening that is out of the ordinary, that is beneath my son, that makes no sense at all, and man cannot comprehend it. It is amazing, it is beautiful, it is majestic, but get this, it is crude and it is gross. It was disgusting. It was beneath him. He left a high position and we've got to marvel at it for this reason. It's explained in his name. There are no lengths that the son of God will not go to to get to you because his name is Emmanuel and he wants to be with you. He's a go with you, God. I talked to my boys. They're, they're young and they tell me they're cool, so I have to believe them. And I said, hey guys, uh, what is like the shoe of the season? Like, you know, what is, what is the coolest shoe that's out there? I want to make sure all of, the, all of the young millennials in the crowd just really get how epic this is that Jesus comes to become flesh and we really kind of like grapple with it. And in a new and intense way, they're like, Dad, I'm thinking they're going to say Air Jordans, because I'm old. They say, Dad, the coolest shoe, the most difficult shoe to find right now is called a Yeezy. Okay, it's with the Y, it's a Yeezy. Made by Adidas, Adidas, the I can't even say Adidas. <laughs> Whatever. It's like, the, come on. Kanye West, the famous rapper, has designed these. And uh, I'm like, well, great, guys. I'm just going to pick them up. They're dead. You don't get these at Wawa. Okay. They're they're hard to find. (laughs) Found a pair. And so I'm like, well, guys, I just really want everyone. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) I used to take my shoes off on TV. It was weird. I'm like, I want everyone to, like, just, under, like, what is something that, like, some kids will understand that that's precious, that's valuable. You ever step on a kid's brand new pair of white shoes? Watch out. These shoes are so white. These are meant to be wear nowhere. They hurt really bad. <laughs> this is what he did. I mean, he's... He's valuable above valuable. He's, he's precious. He's the son of the living God. And this, we just take this idea, we're like, oh yeah, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Stop. The most incredible thing of all time, the son of the living God comes down out of glory and he goes to live in us. All of these things, the, the ridiculousness of this and how a terrible container that this is, a terrible container that we are and how lowly and crude and unjust that all of this would be for the Lord that he would ever be in anything that's beneath him. Last service, this kid goes, don't! This is a side of beef. If you're vegan, I, I truly do apologize some, no, some people are. And I, I would tell you, I, I can't separate the fact that God's word has a lot of blood in it. It's got animal sacrifice in it. It's, it's messy. And it's like everyone wants to just sanitize the Bible. And we would like to get the Bible so comfortable that it has no impact in our life. But what, what Jesus do you wanna come and find? Because the Jesus that we find in the nativity scene is the Jesus that comes into a, a very difficult, gross, ugly, nasty environment. He, he does life with us. It's, it's inconceivable. It's wonderful. It's the son of the living God. I think, I think the thing is, as we walk around this season and we buy Christmas presents, maybe we been participate in singing some of the songs. There, there are those of us who are really like Thomas. I mean, Thomas walked with Jesus. He understood. He seemingly understood that Jesus came from heaven and inhabited some, a body, and, but even Thomas had some doubts. Can I just read to you as we close here in a few moments with a singing of Silent Night, can I read to you just a few of the prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled, proving that he is the son of the living God, that he is Emmanuel who wants to be with us. Micah was written 500 years before Jesus took his first human breath. Out of hundreds and hundreds of cities and scores and scores of nations in existence, all of the world, even in those days, the days of Hosea, he designated nowhere Bethlehem in Judea to be the birthplace of Jesus in Micah 5.2. Isaiah, written 600 years before Christ's first breath in 7.14, says that Jesus would be born of a virgin. At the very beginning of God's recorded word to us that Moses wrote down on Mount Sinai, 2,000 years before Jesus was born into existence as fully God and fully human, he says in Genesis 3.15 that Jesus will become from a virgin, the seed of a woman, 2,000 years before Christ, that he will bruise Satan's head and that Christ's he would be bruised by Satan. Christ was not killed by Satan, but he was bruised on the cross. Leviticus 16, verse 15 through 17, prefigures. This is 2,000 years before Jesus. It prefigures that Jesus will be a once and for all death, that there'll be no more slaughtering of animals for their blood to atone for our sin. Jesus will be the end of it all. He is enough, a once and for all sacrifice. Exodus 3 Prophesies that a lamb must be presented to Israel four days before Passover, just as Jesus come, came into Israel on a donkey four days before Passover. Exodus twelve five says, That lamb must be without blemish. The lamb's blood saves us from wrath, Exodus twelve thirteen. And not a bone in the lamb's body can be broken. Exodus twelve forty-six. When Romans killed people on a cross, they broke bones. Not Jesus. He was the exception to that rule. It is prophesied in the book of Exodus 2,000 years before Jesus ever took a breath that that would happen. His character is prophesied. He is holiness in Exodus fifteen. He is merciful in Exodus thirty-three. He is faithfulness in Psalm eighty-nine. He is goodness in Psalm one hundred. He is just in Isaiah nine-seven. He is wisdom and knowledge in Isaiah eleven-two. He is compassionate and gracious in Psalm one-twelve. He is meek and lowly in Isaiah forty-two. He brings hope to the hopeless in Isaiah forty-two. His kingship and the legitimacy of his reign is prophesied. Hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth, time and time again, he is a descendant of David in Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 34. He reigns on David's throne forever in 1 Chronicles 17. He's establishing David's household forever in 2 Samuel 7, 16. His life and ministry is laid out hundreds of years before he ever took his first breath. Hosea, 500 years before, says he'll be called out of Egypt. His ministry will begin in Galilee, says Isaiah 1, 9 through 10. He will also be called a Nazarene, Isaiah 11, 1, prophesied 600 years before Jesus is born. He is prophesied in Isaiah 35 to have a ministry of miracles and healing. That happened. Psalm 89, 9, 1500 years before Jesus' birth, it is prophesied that he will calm seas and calm storms. He will come to the temple while the temple is still standing, prophesied, Psalm 118, 26. There's a very short window of time that that can happen, and Jesus did it. He will be cursed and hung on a tree, Deuteronomy 21, 23, 2,000 years before his first breath. He will be forsaken because of the sins of others, Psalm 23. He will be confronted by adversaries in the garden, Psalm 40. Betrayed by a familiar friend, Psalm 41. His acquaintances will flee from him, Psalm 31. He will stand silent before his accusers, Psalm 38. He will be hit on cheek, spat upon, despised, rejected, great in sorrow and grief, and abandoned, Isaiah 56. He will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah, 500 years before the birth of Christ, gives that detail in Zechariah eleven twelve 12 through 13. Darkness will fall upon Calvary. Psalm 22, 1,500 years before his birth, he will thirst three hours of suffering on Calvary. Psalm 22, he will be giving vinegar for his thirst. Psalm 69, do you think the soldier knew that from Psalm 69? He's thirsty, he just gives him vinegar, it's the fulfillment of prophecy. Years before Christ is born, they will pierce his hands and his feet. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. Eight hundred years before Rome invents the idea of capital punishment by crucifixion. Blood will pour out when they pierce his side, Psalm 22. They will strip him before the stairs of men, Psalm 22. They will divide his garments. He will own the title King that happened. King of the Jews right above his head. Psalm 2:6 prophesied 1500 years before he took his first breath. He will be hated without cause, Psalm 35. He will be buried in a rich man's grave, Isaiah 56. His resurrection time and time again is foretold hundreds of years before his first breath. Job 19, Psalm 16, Psalm 17, Psalm 30, Isaiah 25. He's gonna raise from the dead. His name will be remembered forever. And here we are singing about his goodness, Psalm 45. There is no end to his government, no end to his throne, no end to his kingdom. He will come to save you, Isaiah 35. His own people would not believe in him. That happened, Isaiah 53. But he will be the light and salvation to the world, Isaiah 42. His sacrifice would heal man of sin, and it would be God's will that he bears the sin of all men, Isaiah 53. How can one person fulfill all of these prophecies? That's a short list. There are over 300 of them that Jesus perfectly fulfills. The chances of Jesus fulfilling eight of these, mathematically, is one and 10 to the 17th power. Like, don't play that lotto ball, you're gonna lose. How can one person be born in Bethlehem, grow up in Nazareth, be called from Egypt, from the tribe of Judah, descended from a specific bloodline of kings that is traceable? Do ministry of healing and goodness in Galilee as described. Be celebrated in Israel and rejected in Israel. Preach a a coming kingdom in Jerusalem and then die and be rejected in Jerusalem. He was rumored to have been raised from the dead and to ascend from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And hundreds of people testified they had no personal gain from this. There was no motivation that anyone can find. To the contrary, there's a lot of motivation that they should shut up about it, but they did not. And the church of Jesus Christ was born, and it spread like wildfire, and they didn't see him coming. The prophecies tell us the direction that he was coming from the east. The exact year that he was coming, Daniel chapter nine. On what type of animal he would be coming on, Zechariah nine. The song that would be coming, that would be singing as Jesus came is prophesied in Psalms. That he would not look kingly in Isaiah. Who his hype man would be like? Elijah in the woods eating locusts. We knew that. That a friend would betray him. For what price the friend would betray him for. And where it would happen in a garden. And they didn't see it coming. And they missed the real Jesus. Do not miss Jesus. I mean, you don't need more information. You don't need to know. Well, technically... He really wasn't in a wood stable, you know? It's like, it was, it was really like a cave in the ground. Like, you don't, you don't need that. Well, the manger wasn't really made out of wood, it was probably concrete. You don't need more information. You can't put that information in your car and go to work in 2020 and conquer the world. The meat, the bones from this Matthew chapter is this incredible idea and it's very simple. It's as simple as how ridiculous all these props are. That Jesus came from heaven And he came to be in a container that was unsuitable for him and beneath him for one reason, because he desperately loves you. And his name is Emmanuel. And his desire is to be with you. And there's no lengths that he won't go to, to be with you. Don't miss an opportunity this Christmas season. Not to see some made up version of Jesus that makes you feel good or someone that you can control, but to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords who desperately just wants to be with you. Over the course of the next 24 hours, as as the sun moves and the time zones change, the world is gonna be singing to the glory of Jesus Christ. In over 300 known languages, the song Silent Night will be sung. It was first sung in 1818. It actually happened because a river rose in Austria and the river water came into the church building and it busted the church organ. There was a young preacher in that village and he had penned a poem about the holy night of Jesus's coming to and be with us. And he went to the next town over to an older preacher that had a guitar and said, "Help me, man. Christmas is coming. I got to have a song." And Hans Gruber put the, the tune to Silent Night. And it's been sung. It's being sung right now. Don't miss the opportunity to join your voice with the world. As the world cries out at the birth of a savior, it's amazing. It's unthinkable. It's, it's actually crazy. But he did it because he wants to be a God is with you. Our team's going to help us light candles. They're dripless candles, which means they're probably going to drip. Amen. So don't burn children, okay? Be careful. We're not worried about the seeds, kids we care about. We're going to sing three verses. On the third, we're going to hoist them as high as we can. Let's join all creation in praising Jesus. Would you stand in